the deepest, most profound wounds can only be healed in a relationship. Born in 92 on the block with the sharks, cut from a different cloth, y'all would get ripped apart. You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark. We dropping nuggets like Carmelo went to rock a bar. Now we eating from state to state, we scrape the plate. I put my eggs in a basket, took a leap of faith. I took a chance, now we grow and see the impact. Decoding success with special guests, now let's bring that. Welcome everyone to an all new episode of Decoding Success. You're rocking with your host, Matt Labrie, on the top 1% globally ranked podcast. And that accolade, the top 1% globally ranked podcast, is because of you and conversations that are being amplified just like this one today. What we have in store for you, honestly, a profoundly deep conversation on love, the masculine and feminine, divine guidance, and our internal wisdom, just to name a few. I'm getting the chills right now just talking about it. Guiding us through this conversation is our friend, my brother, Laureen Kren. Laureen is an internationally sought after teacher in the field of relationships who helps people embody their awakened masculine and awakened feminine in relationships and life. Laureen has worked with countless clients all over the world, honestly, spanning the globe, including star coaches and highly successful CEOs. Laureen is known for his grounded and down-to-earth approach when it comes to relationships and spirituality. He's bringing that all to the show today. You're going to see how much practical advice and wisdom he is sharing. I'm talking about step-by-steps. He's breaking everything down in its most simplest form to give you plenty to walk away with. Now, in this conversation, you're going to walk away with many takeaways, but let me point your attention to a few that really stood out to us. Number one, what it means to master oneself, self-mastery. We hear that term all the time, but how do we actually do it? Furthermore, how to know where you're at on that journey, getting a gauge for where you are when it comes to mastering oneself. Number two, how to receive guidance from our higher self and internal wisdom. We all have it, but it can be so cloudy at times and we don't know how or when or where to make a decision. So how do we tap in and identify the voice of our higher self? We're diving into that. Number three, how our pain, and all of us have pain. Every single one of us has experienced pain. It's a part of life. But how can that pain be the catalyst for our growth? When we're just so sick of experiencing the loops of shitty relationships, the jobs we dread, all of it, pain can guide us and propel us. Number four, two types of relationships that exist in this world. One we want to be in, and the other many of us have been in, but it's truly not ideal yet. The not ideal one, once again, can serve us. Number five, how to know we're experiencing love. What is love? How to feel it, where to feel it, and everything in between. I can throw in a few more bonuses because honestly, there are a ton of freaking takeaways that just amp me up. Before diving in, calling your attention to this call to action. You're here. You're with me. You're tuned into this pod. Believe there is a reason because there is. You could be doing anything else in the world, but you are here listening to Decoding Success, listening to my voice come through your headphones, your speakers, your phone, however you're listening to this. There's something within this that you need. You have been guided here. Embrace that, trust in that, believe that. And make sure by the end of this episode, when it finally clicks as to why you needed to hear this, when the light bulb goes off, share this episode with someone in your life. Someone in close proximity to you is seeking this wisdom embedded within this episode. Share this. Be that for the next person. And now without further ado, we bring to you my brother, Lorraine Kren. Lorraine. 
Welcome to Decoding Success, brother. Really excited to have you. Love your body of work. Love what you put out into the world. Excited to amplify it. So thank you so much for joining us. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. What's going on in your world? Tell me, like, how are you? What's happening in life for you? Service, deep service. That's what comes up for me here, stepping into service. Even every single day, looking at the possibility and opportunity, how can I step into even deeper service? And of course, in order to step into deeper service, we need to look at self-mastery because we need to master ourselves in order to serve fully. So that's kind of my ethos. The most important thing is service. So how can I serve deeper? That's kind of what's always going on. <laughs> I love that. I'm really curious. What does self-mastery mean to you? I think self-mastery ultimately means that we are in a frame, in a state, both emotionally, spiritually, mentally, where we are open to receive the highest guidance, right? Talking from a spiritual perspective, to take the most aligned next step. That means in our mission, in our purpose, the most aligned next step in our intimate life, whether that's a decision in your relationship or whether that's a decision to go deeper in a relationship or to end a relationship or whether it's a micro decision, such as um, how we can bring more love, for instance. So essentially, it's getting rid of everything that is not our truthful expression and expressing ourselves our most authentic version. Yeah, I'm curious, if, if we haven't quote-unquote achieved self-mastery, do we still receive the downloads of highest guidance? I do, because it's a great question. We definitely do, from my perspective, because in the end, who judges what exactly self-mastery is? Because I like to say the word self-mastery is an interesting term, right? Because no one is a master, and yet we call it self-mastery. But there is definitely a degree to how far we are on our path of self-mastery. And I think that's all it is, a scale ultimately. But still, we're humans, so we're always imperfect. And if we would have to be perfectly master ourselves and become entirely enlightened, I don't believe that's what we're here to do. We're here to reach a very high level, but not to be perfectly, to be perfect, because there is always the imperfect nature as long as we're human. Of course, of course. How do we know what degree we've achieved self-mastery? Like, what are the signs? I believe the sign, the strongest sign is when... It's both. It's two things. On an internal level, it's that feeling of clarity. Like in the past, I had this experience of being confused about what am I supposed to do? What's the next step, for instance, in my mission? And now I can sense this, okay, what I'm doing is exactly what I'm meant to do. But it's not a logical thought. It's more of a deeper knowing and feeling and sensation within. So I would say that's the kind of internal state. And the external is when we are receiving feedback from the world that we are in service. And I'm not talking about validation on an egoic or, or receiving validation for whatever it is. I'm not necessarily talking about validation, but I'm referring to that exchange of energy where whatever scenario or person, for instance, signals us back that we have served deeply, whether it was for our presence, our work, coaching, whatever it is. I want to move backwards for a second because we were talking about receiving, you know, our highest guidance, right? Receiving the path that our higher self can take. And, you know, oftentimes we operate from our lower self or, you know, I know I definitely have those choices every single day right in front of me. What happens if, or let me actually backtrack, what's your advice for someone to actually take the advice or the guidance, right? Because like I just said, right now, Right before this call, I'm in New York City. I was debating going to get pizza for lunch, right? It's quick, it's easy, but let's be realistic. That is not what's aligned with my highest self. What's aligned with my highest self after a workout is a nutritious meal, not necessarily, you know, the quick fix to go and get pizza. So I'm just curious, like, what's your advice for people to not just receive that 
higher guidance, but also to act upon it, which can be uncomfortable? It's a fantastic question. I'm taking a moment because I want to give a clear and powerful and practical answer. I think there's two steps to this, because before we even can act upon it, we need to open ourselves towards that guidance. And I believe, I sometimes call it opening to the divine, we can call it opening to higher intelligence, but in the end, these are just labels, right? It's about the embodied experience, because when you experience it, you experience it. What label you put it and how you call it, it's just the concept explaining it. But I think the first step I would define is, first of all, being able to receive guidance and for that we have to enter a state of clarity in order to enter a state of clarity for instance specifically in the men's work i do um, masculine embodiment practices for instance but in general in general specific breath work practices for instance one of them being the microcosmic orbit of the breath it is an incredible practice to kind of step into that aligned state and create clarity and and go beyond the clutter and connect with our deeper truth in that moment i'm just As I'm answering this question, I can make it even more practical. The way I would describe it is being able to connect with the highest truth in our body. I always say that the body is the, has an incredible intelligence far beyond the intelligence of our mind. And we need to be able to connect with what's truly truthful in our body because so many of us are not connected with what's actually going on inside our body. It's almost like we live two lives, one in our mind and one what's actually what we're experiencing in our body. When we can connect to the highest truth in our body, that's when we're naturally going to receive guidance. I'm curious to know what got you to this point, right? This isn't a conversation for you know, just <laughs> anyone. Like you're, you're talking about, you know, our higher self and divinity and, you know, all of these things like, What got you here? Yeah, it's a great question. I believe it's a difficult question to answer because in the end, it is a lot of things and it's not just one thing. But what has definitely been the biggest catalyst in my journey was early in my life, my father died of cancer and it was a three-year journey, three-year battle. And when he died, I was kind of, I call it, death is a great teacher right? Because it kind of rips you open. It rips, it takes the ground from your feet and it makes you, it made me realize very early on that the only thing that matters is number one, to be of service, to really ensure that I can bring whatever medicine or whatever it is that I'm meant to serve the world with. And number two, that I want to embody my most truthful, or you called it higher self. So that kind of clarity came in very early. And that is eventually what led me down to that path whatever you want to call it, the spiritual journey, the path of self-mastery. And from there, of course, was an awakening, a deep insight. And from there, then all the other things started to align and the next milestones revealed themselves. Now, you said that it would be hard to sum up an answer to that, but I'm curious to know what you think about this. I mean, I I know what the answer of that question is for myself, but it sounds very relatable. And I mean, I would even argue that it could be summed up in one word. Correct me if I'm wrong, but did pain lead you here? Yes, yes. I think from my perspective, for most people, it is pain because I do write a lot of poetry. And one of the things, I don't remember the exact words I've wrote, but grief, sadness is meant to serve as a pressure on our heart for it to crack open. So the way I see it is, just as you described, pain is pressure. And under that pressure, we can succumb, we can collapse and experience even more pain and create a whole victim mentality around it or that 
pressure can become so strong that it literally cracks us open. So yes, I fully agree. Short answer, pain. Pain. Yeah, that's what it was for me. But uh, you piqued my interest right away because you do something that I just did for the first time, I want to say in the month of June of 2023. I'm 30 years old. For the first time ever, I wrote my first poem. Yes. You said that you write poetry. How did you get into that? Like, talk to me about poetry. I'm so intrigued by this. It felt so good writing this poem. I'm curious, like what led you there? Yeah, the truth is nothing specific specifically led me there in the sense that I read a great book about poetry and then thought, oh, I'm going to do that. It's just what led me, well, no, I, actually when I'm, you ask really powerful questions, not questions that I usually, that's why I'm always taking a moment to actually reflect about it. But yes, as you're asking, the answer came. Part of my journey was that I spent several years mostly alone in nature and learning how to be in solitude and just being with nature and basically opening myself to what's what we short before um, talked about to higher guidance. What is my service? Who am I? What am I meant to do? What are the next steps in my journey? And as I was in nature, I'm just sitting and listening and looking and walking. Words just naturally came. And then I just started to take out a piece of notebook and a pen. I always had it with me because I do also journaling and I would just write things down. And then I would show at the beginning, I would show it to others and they were like, whoa, what? where do you have that? And I'm like, well, I just had this for. It's basically, it just comes to me. It's not something I do consciously. I'm not sitting down. Let's write poetry. It's like the words come and I write them down. I wrote my first poem for my girlfriend. I love writing. Writing is a beautiful thing. Journaling or letters or whatever the case may be. But I had an idea. A buddy of mine, we were just hanging out. I was helping him with his business before Father's Day. He has a physical product. We were, you know, we were doing some things in his factory. And he asked me, he was like, hey man, like, have you ever wrote a poem? And I said, no, I, I mean, I, I didn't think I was capable of doing so. And next thing you know, I went to the back of my journal. I just started like scripting out a couple of things, like how to start it, this, that, the other. I got to say, I, I really loved it. it. It was such a beautiful form of expression. There was a slight challenge to it, which I also like. I like to be challenged. But being able to you know, put something together and then see on your woman's face, see on your partner's face, their reaction. Like what a beautiful thing, you know? Yes, especially poetry for our woman. Yeah. When I write poetry for my wife, I, I completely feel what you're saying. It's it's that sensation because when you write it, you feel that immense love. And then for instance, when you read it to her, I give it to her on a piece of paper and she reads it. It's also her reaction, right? Because she's feeling she's feeling the love behind the words. And in essence, words I never realized that until actually my Spanish teacher said these words to me. He said, words have the power to open our heart and the choice of words and how the words are ordered and what they express, they create an experience for us. And I knew that, but I never thought about it consciously. And now I'm seeing it differently. It's like almost words can be medicine because I'm sure you had that experience. You read a book and you feel nothing. It's like whatever. It's like you're reading words that are somewhat connected or you read something and you have an inner experience. You're like, whoa, this is connecting me with my deeper nature. This is making me feel really aligned, joyful, or love. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious for the men that are tuned into this right now, for the men that are listening, how can we ensure that our partner, specifically in a heterosexual relationship, how can we ensure that our woman is capable of receiving such a gift, right? Because poetry is a very, very powerful thing, as is writing a letter or, you know, there's, there's many different ways to provide powerful gifts. But from my experience, not everyone's able to receive gifts of that magnitude. What are the signs to ensure that a woman is able to receive that? When 
twofold answer here. Of course, it is not our job to to make someone else receive because we can't, right? It is our job to receive ourselves and to give love or to serve, another word for it. But in essence, we cannot make someone receive, of course. That is only their own journey um, within themselves. But what are the signs? Well, the sign is that we receive some form of acknowledgement for it. And acknowledgement does not mean validation, the sense of, oh yeah, you did a great job. And then we feel better about ourselves. That's not what I'm referring to. What I'm referring to is there is always an exchange of energy in the sense when you are serving and the other person is receiving, right? They're receiving, you're giving. For instance, the example with your woman or with your wife or girlfriend or whatever. Um, although I don't like the word girlfriend because I think it's a term that's very immature, to be honest, it's my personal preference. So my, my personal opinion, because girlfriend sounds a little bit like, you know, my girlfriend, I think it's much more archaic and powerful as a man to say my woman, my wife has a more power. It has a stronger commitment to it. And usually when I hear my girlfriend, I'm more like, okay, maybe there isn't the highest commitment going on in that relationship. This is not always true, right? And it might trigger some people hearing that, but it says a lot from my perspective. But going back to what I was saying about the receiving, you feel it, right? You can feel when you are serving and giving and the other person is able to receive that. And there is it's so incredible because all spiritual traditions all over the world say that, but essentially, as you serve, you get back 10 times fold right? And it's, I'm sure you had that experience when you read poetry to her, boom, it's like you do it, but you receive 10 times the energy of the energy you've put in. And of course, if the other person now going deeper, if the other person feels unworthy of receiving and you read that poem and they're really awkward and they're really shut down and they don't know what to say, then of course, that's going to be off-putting in the sense that it's going to a disconnect because you give. And of course, you don't want to give and expect, okay, she needs to do X, Y, Z, to validate me. But deep down, of course, we expect some form of acknowledgement, at least if it's a sense of, wow, this is so beautiful or whatever, something along those lines, right? But we can notice in the moment when the person feels unworthy and they shut down and they're not able to communicate that and let us in, it's going to create that distance, that energetic wall. And this is actually quite an interesting experience because couples do experience this often and it leads to disconnect. And that disconnect overall continues and continues and yeah i'm talking long here but that's kind of the answer <laughs> no, no i'm listening brother please i mean we're, that's why we're here we're here to talk we're here to have conversation i agree with you i agree with everything you're saying in the past i have given gifts you know it, it sucks when you give a gift from your heart like you really put your heart like forget about money like money always comes back but like when you put your energy and your love into something and it's not received you know that hurts that's definitely hurtful but on the flip side of it like like you said you know I think we also have to manage our expectation and on the flip side of that, know what our standard is. Do you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. 100%. We need to look at what's ours and what's theirs. One of the greatest skills. Because if you don't know what's your, what are the issues that you bring into the relationship and what are the issues that your partner is bringing in, then things are going to get very confusing because you, you don't have that clarity on what exactly is going on. So if you are giving and you are expecting some a specific response and you're not getting that response, you're getting a different response, and then you judge that and you shut down, that most likely is your own journey your own thing to work through. But if you are giving from your heart and you don't expect anything 
specific, that's a whole different story then, of course. Yeah, absolutely. I want to go back to the whole term girlfriend. Where did that stem from for you? I, I mean, I definitely utilize the term girlfriend. I'm not offended by what you said, by the way. I actually find it very intriguing. I definitely use the term girlfriend, but I also say my lady. I also say my woman, things of that sort. I'm just curious, like, what triggered that in your mind like yes. to, to make that switch? Yeah, it's interesting because it's just something that I've noticed when I heard people referring to their woman or their partner as my girlfriends. I've often seen that these were the same people, not always, of course, because it's just a word, but these were also people who didn't have the highest commitment and then actually didn't stay in the long run in the relationship, right? And of course, just because someone calls his partner his wife or doesn't mean that they are committed. The word itself doesn't mean it. But it's just something that I've noticed along my journey of working with so many people and coaching so many people is that when someone says, my wife, my woman, with a sense of power, it just expresses almost to a certain degree, also their commitment to that person, right? And if they're not completely sure, they will more likely refer to the word girlfriend. But again, anyone who's listening, someone might call their partner girlfriend and be deeply committed. Another person might call it wife and be a serial cheater. So that, that also exists, right? It's not black and white like nothing in this universe is. Of course, of course. Now, can you not utilize the term girlfriend with the same amount of like power and emphasis that you can with woman or partner or wife? I'm sure you can, but from my own perspective, how can I say that? I believe in the, some people even get triggered when you say the word my woman because they believe it's possession, right? But that's not what I mean by that at all. I'm not saying my woman and you control and dominate her entirely and she's your possession. That is a whole other topic. But there is just an inherent archaic beauty in saying my woman, right? Or my wife. There is an archaic beauty. And I just personally find there is no archaic beauty in saying my girlfriend. No, I definitely get it. I get it. You're you're gonna you're gonna make me change my language. That's what you're doing. You're making me change my language. Over Never there. again, girl. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, shit. I gotta remove that from my vocabulary. But you know, earlier you were talking about the you know, for lack of a better term, quote unquote issues that we bring as individuals into our relationships. And it leads me to ask you something that, you know, I just think about, I know that I do a lot of work on myself. I mean, if I didn't start therapy in 2020, I mean, I don't even know if we would be able to have this type of conversation, but it leads me to ask you, can you once again, for lack of a better term, quote unquote, heal while in a relationship, or is that something that needs to be done beforehand? Great question. I always like to say, some wounds can only be healed in the mirror of a relationship. What I mean by mirror of relationship, when you are in a relationship, you are experiencing constant feedback towards or based on your energetic state and how you're showing up. If, for instance, you are on your own, you don't have feedback necessarily right? It is not something constantly mirroring you. When you're in a relationship, typical example I give, let's say you are in your shadow or you're in a negative state for five hours. If you're on your own, you're not going to get a lot of feedback from the world around you, right? But if you're in a relationship, five hours of being in a negative state and your partner, your woman or your husband or whatever is next to you, then they are going to mirror that to you by, for instance, not feeling completely safe with you, by, for instance, asking you what's going on and there is some sense of disconnect. Not that you can't experience that, but it's basically you constantly get feedback, constantly get feedback. That's what I call the mirror of a relationship. And certain wounds we are simply not aware of because we have never received a mirror for it. On the other hand, there are other wounds that we can heal 
in solitude. But I would go as far as saying that the deepest, most profound wounds can only be healed in a relationship. A typical example, abandonment wound. If you're not in a relationship, your abandonment wound won't be triggered all the time necessarily. If you're in a relationship, the abandonment wound will get triggered again and again especially if it's strong. It will be triggered from minor things and it will even be triggered if the other person is not abandoning you. I mean, this is a whole other topic, the abandonment wound. I work a lot with that with couples, individuals. But essentially, there is a beautiful saying, I forgot who said it, but it's a great psychologist and he said, we're always being micro-abandoned. You're always getting micro-abandoned and rejected. Always. Example, I assure you, you as well, because for instance, and that's normal, that's not macro-abandonment, but for instance, let's say you smile at your woman as, as she is leaving the house. She's not seeing you, you think she's seeing you and she's going, she's in her head and she needs to do something, right? And she leaves and you think, wow, she didn't reciprocate my smile and me trying to connect with her in that moment. But she didn't know. She didn't see you. She had no idea. She already said bye before. She was in her head maybe. She was somewhere else. And in that moment, what you experience is a micro-rejection, a micro-abandonment, which for people with a strong abandonment wound can trigger that trauma majorly. And of course, that's going to come up in a relationship. Now, there is a caveat to this. There is one important caveat to this. There are relationships where you can heal your wounds and there are relationships where your trauma is just in a loop. So for instance, if you are with someone who is not fully committed, your abandonment wound is gonna get triggered all the time, but there is no safe space and fundament to integrate that. It's just going to loop constantly. You're gonna feel abandoned, abandoned, abandoned and try and make sure maybe I can get them to commit to me and feel abandoned, right? But then if you're in a conscious relationship with a safe fundament and your wound will still get exposed because of micro-abandonment and rejection, that's when you can then start to really heal the deepest parts of your being that you consciously are not aware of and can only see through the mirror of your relationship. I'm mind blown right now because you brought me to a realization. I was single for three years before my current relationship. And while I, you know, I turn inward rather often, I, I definitely do, but the mother wound popped back up. And I said to myself, I was like, wow, okay. While I wasn't in a relationship, the mother wound was not present because there was no one to neglect or not give me the attention or this, that, or the other. Enter the relationship and it pops back up. So I very much so align with what you're saying in regards to how there are certain wounds or things that can only be healed in relationship. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. It aligns with the woman that we had on the show. Her name's Lori Gottlieb. She's incredible at what she does. She's based here in the States and she said it. She goes, Matt, listen, you know, healing in a relationship is expedited healing. You know, you're going to be exposed to things that you won't be exposed to if you were not in the relationship. So that was very eye-opening. And I want to say thank you for shifting my own perspective. And I can only imagine the amount of impact you're having with your words on our community here. But I want to ask you something in regards to the mirrors that we receive, the what's reflected through the mirrors. How do we not take it personal? And or Maybe the better question is, how do we not, I don't want to use the word attack, but how do we not view our partner or whomever is really the mirror and what they're reflecting? How do we not view them differently for what they're reflecting back at us, right? Like, how do we not have animosity or anger toward them or something of that sort? Yes, 100% amazing question. Usually the feminine, I like to say, but this also goes vice versa for women listening to this podcast. Um, or when I say masculine feminine, right, it's not gender specific. I use heterosexual language for poetic reasons and also for simplicity, just for everyone to know. But usually what happens when a man is with a woman is that the feminine has this incredible gift of naturally just exposing things within us, exposing where we're out of 
integrity, exposing where we're not of the things within us where we're not taking full responsibility and full ownership. And I always like to say her nature does that naturally. It's just intuitive. She doesn't do that consciously. She's not thinking, how can I poke and how can I expose and how can I? She's not. Fi- I mean, if she does that, that would be manipulation. That would be a total different topic. But I'm saying that happens naturally. And it's so often that we as men we see her as the threat. But remember for every man listening, the moment you see her as the threat, you can be rest assured 100% that your shadow is triggered, that she triggered something within you that requires integration, that requires your mastery, where you haven't mastered yourself yet. Because here is the caveat, because here is the important thing. If you really don't agree with her, you don't see her as a threat. You can just from a loving, grounded, but truthful and strong place, say to her, I don't agree. Because you don't agree. You're aware of your truth. If you say something to me, let's say something, you say something to me and I get offended, right? There must be then some belief that I believe that might be true. But if you say something to me that's offensive, not that you will do that, but I'm just giving an example, and I know 100% it is not true, that I'm not going to have a strong reaction towards you. I can be clear in my boundary, but I will not see you as a threat, right? So the moment we see her as a threat, we know already something is exposed within us. And if we then make her the problem, then we're missing the point because we're causing pain for her, what naturally comes from her deepest nature, and we're missing the opportunity to actually evolve in consciousness because it's not personal. It's about our evolution, which then leads us to the one, to the, the, maybe the most important sentence in this podcast. Relationships are here to awaken us and not to comfort us. They're not comfortable. That's for sure. They're definitely not. Com- I mean, listen, at times, of course they are, but a lot of growth, a lot of growth comes within relationships. I do want to talk about two terms that you use just because I personally want clarity on them. You know, I, I view them as energies. You know, you talked about the masculine and the feminine. Like I hear those words get thrown around a lot these days. Understandably so. But what do they mean? Like what, what does masculine mean? What does feminine mean? Do we as men possess both? Do women possess both? Yes. I, I completely understand where your question is coming from because there is a lot of misconception. Uh, sometimes we can f- refer to it as masculine feminine polarity. These are incredibly ancient, ancient teachings. Some people call it call it new age. It's not new age. It's ancient, as ancient as spirituality can be. They go so far back. And it's just that what's new age is some of the ways we have applied these teachings or they're being expressed in a certain way right now. I always like to say the concept of masculine feminine polarity has completely shifted my life. However, it has to be embodied. It has to be understood at a deeper level. So this is not an easy answer because it's a grand topic and we can talk hours about it, but I'm going to simplify this as much as I can for the listener to make this really practical. Start from the beginning. Number one, we all have masculine and feminine energies within us. Every single one of us. Men don't have only masculine, women don't have only feminine. We have both. What we call, what I call embodying our truth, embodying our highest self is what I refer to as embodying our unique blend of masculine and feminine energy within us. So every single one of us has a different blend of these two energies. Usually every single one of us has a dominant energy. So for many men, the masculine within is the dominant energy. Doesn't mean they have no feminine, but it's the dominant. For many women, the dominant one is the feminine. However, for some people, some men, the feminine is dominant. And and that is completely fine. If that's truthful, amazing. And if you're aware of that. And it's embodying that unique blend 
event that creates the deepest intimacy. And it feels so natural. And of course, now to go deeper, we can attribute certain characteristics towards these energies. Also here, we have to be careful because when I say strong is masculine, then weak is feminine? No, that doesn't make any sense, right? So it's in kind of polarity does not mean polar opposites in that way. But what it essentially means, for instance, is the masculine energy is often attributed to leadership, right? To presence, to warriorship, for instance, or a warrior-like expression, to discipline, to clarity, decisiveness, structure, assertiveness, right? And feminine energy is usually attributed to softness, receiving, surrender. But surrender does not mean passiveness, by the way. So there are a lot of misconceptions. Surrender is incredible courage. And we need both essentially. But for instance, if your core is masculine, then you will naturally want to be more naturally prone to want to take the lead. Taking the lead does not mean you completely dominate and control. But for instance, for me, I want to be a leader. I want to create things, bring things into the world. I want to lead in a powerful way. I would not feel comfortable working for someone else and listening to what they're going to tell me. It would just not work for me. Can we be, I guess maybe the answer is yes, just based off of this conversation. Can we be out of balance in regards to these you know, in regards to the masculine and feminine? Like, can we be way too much in the masculine, very little in the feminine? Does it depend on the person? Yes, 100%. Because of the conditioning we receive, most of us are out of balance completely. Why? Because, for instance, women are being conditioned to be in their masculine. That's just what's happening in the world. What are examples there? Menstrual cycles are not being honored, right? A woman is supposed to work and be exactly show up in the same way as a man does. Already here, it's kind of we're, we're kind of putting women into the same box here right? Which is going to make it more difficult for women to honor their feminine, their feminine nature. Now, what's a good example here when we talk about a man, for example? Many men find themselves either overly in their masculine or overly in their feminine. You have both extreme expressions in today's world. Those men who are overly in their feminine are usually what I call spiritually bypassing. So they read spiritual teachings about open your heart and connect with the universe, but they're not grounded. They're not practicing to, they're not practicing grounding, connecting with the earth. So it becomes frantic. It's all about focused about going up, elevating in consciousness, opening the heart, opening the heart, but there is no grounding. Right? And then, of course, these people will be often very nervous, very frantic, and very disconnected from the earth. And, and the other example is when a man, for instance, is overly in his masculine, he will be overly serious, overly rigid, unable to receive, unable to feel love. He's like a warrior who's constantly fighting a battle. But the warrior, the conscious warrior, sometimes needs to lay his sword aside and receive and allow himself to be nurtured, nourish himself in order to show up powerfully in the battlefield of consciousness again. So that's kind of the example. And when you embody your unique blend or your or your authentic blend is maybe a shit word. I would say, excuse my language, I would say authentic interplay between the two energies within you. That's how I would call it. I love this. I have a question on, on my mind, but I'm going to be honest. I don't know how to ask it. So I'm going to ask you for your help to see how you interpret what's going to come out of my mouth right now. If we have a very strong connection to our masculine, let's call it on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the strongest. If, if we can connect with that energy on like a level eight, and we want to connect with our feminine on the same level, level eight. Do we need to start at level one or just because we have an eight at our masculine, does that mean we automatically have an eight at our feminine? Does that make sense? I'm trying to frame this question. Yes. Here is where it gets very complicated because 
Sometimes we can have these concepts about these energies, but we try to understand them through our analytical mind. In essence, all we need to do is find and connect with that authentic interplay. So let me give you an example to make this practical. I personally, my core energy is masculine, but I still have a strong connection to my feminine. I write a lot of poetry and for instance, right? So there is a connection to my feminine. There is this ability to receive and to open myself towards higher guidance, which in essence is a, it needs the feminine, right? And when we are embodying our authentic interplay of these two energies, then it naturally happens. We're not thinking, oh, I'm going to do this and now I'm going to go into my feminine. It doesn't work that way. There is no concept. The moment we are in that state of embodiment, it happens naturally through us. It expresses itself naturally through us. And I know this is not an easy topic, but and this has nothing to do with, with Hinduism, by the way, or, or Shiva and the religion that has been created around it. But if you look at a Shiva statue, as Shiva, often described as the divine masculine, right? Just one expression of how you can describe it. If you look at a Shiva statue, you can see both a fierce, strong warrior and you see a very surrender, receiving, long hair, also feminine attributes. So you really see both. You cannot label it as just overly masculine or overly this. And this is kind of what it means to embody our authentic nature or our true core. It's a sweet paradox because in the end, it's both, right? One being more dominant. So the moment we ask ourselves, okay, how do can I get my feminine to an eight in that way? I wouldn't recommend going that way because it will make things very logical and it's going to be very difficult to ground that and make that practical into our experience as a living reality. Yeah, you brought me to another realization. You brought me to the realization that I've denied my energy in regards to the masculine. So I'll give you an example. Oftentimes when I'm a part of group projects, whether it be for business or, you know, even playing sports, oftentimes I've felt that I've been looked at as the leader, like the one that needs to make the decisions and recall so vividly a project that I was a part of where that was happening. And I said to myself, like, I wanted to be on the back, like I want to be on the back burner. I didn't want to be the leader. Would that be considered denying the masculine? In a way, yes, because in these moments, people were naturally looking up to you because it seems because your energy, your core energy is masculine, right? They naturally kind of picked you in that moment as the leader because they themselves perhaps had also a fear of taking responsibility because, of course, the leader always is the one who's fucked no matter what happens. If everything goes well, amazing, it's him. <laughs> but if things go wrong, it's always our responsibility, right? We hold the birth, which is the beauty, the beauty of Leadership. I love it. I mean, it's brutal, but it's amazing. Just think about it. It has that warriorship spirit to it. But yes, in a way, we could say that because in that moment, you didn't want it to take perhaps responsibility and calling the shot and then being the one held accountable for the whole thing. But you could have just gone into your power. It all depends, right? There's no shoot. And obviously, I haven't coached you around this and neither do I know the exact context around it. But short answer Perhaps yes, because a part within you did not want to take responsibility for that and perhaps wanted to take the easier and comfortable way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that is for sure. I have to ask you, Lorraine, you know, 
I've asked you a lot of questions, but what's a question you wish more people would ask you and how would you answer it? Whew, this is probably the best question, probably the best question I've ever been asked in a podcast. Love it. It's very intuitive also, this podcast. I really like it. Hmm. What's a question that I wish people would ask me more? Yeah. Hmm. It can be anything. It doesn't no, no, there's something anything. coming through me, but it's coming. <laughs> it's not there yet. It's a really, really good question. Now, one question that I wish more people would ask me is actually how to discern between this is very abstract but it's not going to resonate with everyone but with those who are perhaps on a certain level in their spiritual journey it might resonate more with but i wish people would ask me or in general more how can we discern between embodied spirituality and spirituality that is just cluster or maybe cluster is the wrong word but just a bunch of words being pressed together expressing something really complex but the energy behind it is actually not expressing that at a practical and embodied level, right? So how can we actually discern that? Because I believe that that's one of the most important skills that we are able to see whether someone is living it or someone is just talking about it. Personally, that led me to the right teachers in my life, that led me to the right people who were able to guide me on my path and give me, because I could notice and see the truth inside them. I could see they are embodied, that's real. It also allowed me to see through people who would have led me down the wrong path, right? And then and I said, no, I don't want this. This is not right, right? I give an example. So for instance, I, I had a teacher in the past who taught me great things. I'm not going to name them by the name, by the way. I had a teacher in the past who, who taught me powerful things, but their relationship to the feminine was definitely not conscious. They were out of integrity. And I just saw him being out of integrity one day because in a relationship and then leaking in energy with another woman, I just saw it and I thought, that's it. This is the moment where I'm not receptive towards anything anymore because that's not what I want to embody. Now, of course, he still taught many great things in other areas, so I'm still able to take that wisdom. That's not powerful. That's not where I choose and want to be in my life. And that kind of led me then to connect with teachers who were embodying it. And that's, of course, a whole different experience. Yeah. Absolutely. So are you more so saying, to sum that up, living by it versus just speaking it? Yes, because it's easy to, unfortunately, it's easy to fool people in today's world because some people might be really great speakers, some people might be really great writers, and then it can sound like really spiritual jargon and <laughs> all bumped together somewhat and sound really enlightened and divine and incredible, but there is no essence behind it and it might actually lead people down the wrong path because they're not receiving guidance from someone who has been quote-unquote initiated into that, not necessarily initiated by a teacher, but where you can really feel, okay, they're living this, they're connected to that, right? That doesn't mean they're perfect. No one is perfect. But that recognition of truth and of the sacred, really seeing the sacred, right? That is what I believe is the most valuable skill we can have or one of them. I love this. I love this so much. I only have you for a few more minutes. So I always ask a couple of the same questions on the way out of these interviews. In fact, the next question that I'm going to ask you was asked to me by a gentleman who makes a living on self-mastery. His name is Dr. Michael Gervais, based here in the States. He works with football team, American football. And he had asked me this question. He said, I'm going to ask it to you. How would our life, my life, be different if we or myself knew what you know? Our life would be different if you knew what you know. Hmm. Is that a philosophical question, the sense of new embodied? So it's more so along the lines if... Matt knew what Laureen knows, how would Matt's life be different? 
Now, of course, you know, we don't know each other on like the deepest of levels. So, you know, there's some make-believe to it, I guess. But like, how would our life, the collective of people that listen to this podcast, how would our life be different if we knew what you know? Yeah, wow. That's a powerful question. The collective would know that sacred and real love exists and that it's not just a fairy tale and that actually what we see in Hollywood movies is nothing in comparison to the peak and ecstasy of what's actually possible in a relationship. That true love, that word, has been so misconstrued and we've been so conditioned around that, but actually there is a much deeper nature to it and it's beyond the imaginable. That doesn't mean it's perfect. It doesn't mean it ha- doesn't have its imperfect things to it. But the collective would know, wow, what many so feel in their heart, that yearning, and that which often then is judged by others, it doesn't exist. Love is just a chemical reaction in your brain. No, it goes so much deeper and it does exist. It is rare because most people don't open themselves to it, right? And have this unwavering trust and commitment towards it. But it is 100% possible. I asked this question the other day. And I mean, I asked it to a gentleman as well. Well, I'm going to ask it to you. How do we know that we're experiencing love? That's a good question. <laughs> These questions are amazing <laughs> because they lead one to reflect deeper. These are not just because I teach a lot about my work. And if you would ask me about my work, I can like a bullet answer to you, right? But these questions are deeper questions where it requires a more yeah nuanced answer. How do we know when we experience love? We can feel love as a sensation or somatic experience of a warmth inside our body. We can feel connected to our own body because at the end of the day, love is not something outside of you. Love is an internal experience that is happening inside your body. When you read words that open your heart or words about love, it's not the words that make you feel love. It's that the words inspire the connection with your own heart. So in essence, everything in life, even a relationship, only allows you to experience the own connection you have with your own heart, with the love inside your heart. So when I look at my woman and I say, I love you and I experience love, what essentially the experience is evoking inside me is the love inside my own heart because we are love in the end. So how do we know we experience love when whatever we experience connects us with the love inside our own heart? That's a beautiful freaking place to be. I'm curious from like a somatic experience, you know, you said that you feel it physically as well, like the warmth. Is that referring to like butterflies and things like that? <laughs> it's a great, another quick, <laughs> I keep saying great question, <laughs> but it is great, really great. Um, butterfly, it depends because a lot of people might go have an eroticized wound. So for instance, example, woman has gone or have gone for a father wound. Father was never there, was emotionally unavailable. Now she meets a man who is also emotionally unavailable, butterfly in her stomach. Wow, wow, wow. But the butterflies are actually her trauma, re-experiencing her trauma. But what happens, what an eroticized wound is, is that in that moment, the trauma is being confused with aliveness with passion. Eroticized wound means we confuse trauma and pain with aliveness, with passion, with perhaps even intimacy, right? So she in that moment has the butterflies and feels that sense of wow. But in essence, what's happening is just her. She's experiencing trauma. She's experiencing pain, right? And that is not love. That is the opposite of love. That is pain. That is trauma, right? And so butterflies, we need to be mindful of depends on every individual, right? Love is a little bit more grounded. It isn't so, oh my God, oh my God. It's not that energy. It's more an energy of, it goes into the earth, right? It's difficult to put words to any of this, but true love is so, 
so at home, so grounded, rather than something frantic and oh my God, oh my God, and this is so amazing. It's it's less that, it's more grounded. Yeah. I love that. I only have you for a couple more minutes. I'm going to try and squeeze as many questions out of you as I can here. One thing that I've been doing, got this idea from a gentleman named Stephen Bartlett. I think it's a beautiful idea. I have been asking a question to my last guest to ask our next guest. So without knowing who the next guest is or without knowing who the last guest is, the question that is asked to you is... How do you cultivate clarity? <laughs> it's a powerful question because we've been talking about this on the beginning of the podcast. How do I cultivate clarity? You cultivate clarity by letting go of making sense and trying to figure out what's happening in your life. Spend all the energy that you waste and use on trying to make sense, trying to understand, spend all of that energy to open yourself towards higher guidance. So you allow your deeper truth to choose for you rather than you in your mind. How do you do that? You can go into nature, you can pick a nice spot in nature where you feel intuitively called to next to a waterfall, a river, whatever. Just sit there, observe it, breathe there 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour, one hour, depending how much time you have. And in these moments, you just open yourself. You can say a little mantra, you can can say universe or whatever you believe in or feel connected to i open myself towards higher guidance and then you just allow that or you can go into meditation and you can put a timer half an hour sit with your own heart and just listen listen to your own heart and just say i open myself towards higher guidance if you spend all the energy trying to figure out on creating a space for yourself to receive higher guidance then essentially what's going to happen is that you are it's inevitable that you are going to receive higher guidance the next step is always there if you listen deeply enough always now the next part of this question is for you to ask our next guest a question without yes. knowing who they are <laughs> so my question to them is how do we know that we are truly embodying our spiritual or life lessons. I love that. That's a beautiful question. That is most definitely a beautiful question. Laureen, I have to let you go. Otherwise, I would keep talking to you. I've appreciated this tremendously. This was a beautiful conversation without a doubt. I want to let everyone know that's tuned into this, that you can connect with Laureen in the show notes of this episode, socials, books, websites, all of that good stuff, programs, all of that good stuff is in the show notes of this episode. But expressing gratitude, brother, thank you so much for this. Yes, and thank you for the episode. It was quite the opposite of what I'm used to in a podcast episode. Normally I get different kind of questions. This inspired a whole other intuitive conversation. So really well done as you as a podcast host. You have just tuned into episode 290 of the top 1% globally ranked podcast, Decoding Success, featuring our friend Laureen Kren. Now on this note, you made it this far into the episode. As mentioned, I called your attention to a call to action in the beginning of this. And I said to you, there's a reason you're here. There's a reason you need to embrace that mindset, trust in it, believe in it. You got to the end of this episode. You found this to be a value. If not, you wouldn't be listening to it anymore. So I'm going to have to urge you and remind you the importance of sharing this with someone in close proximity to you. There is someone in your life right now that needs to hear this message. So I'm urging you to make sure that you do that, whether you share it on social or text messages, word of mouth, however, wherever, we're not picky. But at the end of the day, sharing it to be the beacon of light in someone else's life, we are forever grateful for that. So saying thank you on that note. Furthermore, you could check out Laureen in the show notes of this episode where you're going to be able to find socials, websites, programs, books, all of that good stuff. We drop an episode every single Wednesday. Every week there are new episodes. Make sure you're tapped in. Make sure you're rocking with us. If you haven't hit the follow or subscribe button, that is another call to action for you to do so, so that you could stay tapped in with us every single week and you don't miss a beat. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.